The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
It was just another morning. Abraham went about his chores. And then in the heat of the day, he came and sat down. And he began to rest in the shade. And suddenly, he didn't know where they appeared from. He looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. He immediately hurried to them, fell on his face before them, and said, If I have found favor in your eyes, O Lord, do not pass your servant by. He recognized God. He recognized the pre-incarnate Jesus. He appeared to him as a man. He said, Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under the tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. He is very pleased. He is very startled. They answered very well, do as you say. And so Abraham hurries into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he says, get three seas of fine flour, knead it, bake some bread. He also ran. He didn't walk. He ran to the herd. He selected a choice and tender calf. He gave it to the servant who hurried to butcher it. He then brought curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared. And he set these before the men. While while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. He didn't sit and eat with them. He stood a, a little distance away. He honored them as his guests. He was there to serve them. He knew this was God. Can you imagine yourself serving God, sitting at your dining room table? You know it's God who has come to you with two angels who appear as men. Now this was not a a quick process to butcher and prepare the calf, to bake the bread. You're talking about a couple hours. What did Abraham do during these two hours? He certainly oversaw the preparation of their meal. But it doesn't tell us what he said to God and what God said to him. Finally, it's ready, and they're eating, and he's standing there. And Sarah, she doesn't come out. So God asks, Where's your wife, Sarah? They're in the tent. The Lord said, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah's listening at the entrance to the tent. She's over over listening and overhearing the, the conversation that's going on between God and her husband. And Sarah laughs. After I'm worn out and my master is old, Will I now have this pleasure? She knows she doesn't have a a period anymore. She's no longer fertile. The Lord said, 
Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, and she lied, and she said inside of the tent, I did not laugh. But God answers her, Yes, you did. You did laugh. Then the three stand up to leave. They look down towards Sodom and and Gomorrah, and Abraham walks along with them to see them on their way. And the Lord says to himself, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him, for I've chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. And then the Lord talks to him about Sodom and the wickedness and the angels are going to go and destroy it. And immediately, we see Abraham's heart as he begins to to negotiate with God. What if there are 50 righteous? What if there are 40 righteous? What if there are 45 righteous? 30 righteous? 20 righteous? What if there are only 10 righteous? The Lord answers, for the sake of the ten, I will not destroy it. And then this very interesting verse. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. When I read that statement, my heart breaks. Hear it. I'll read it again. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left. And Abraham returned home without God being with him. In this Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, God would come and speak to his chosen, to his prophets. He came and spoke with with Noah. He came and spoke with Abraham, he came and spoke with with Abraham's children. He came and spoke to them, and then he would go. He would come and speak a word, a prophecy, a direction, and then he would be gone. He gave them the tabernacle with the Urim and the Thummim so that they could immediately discern the will of God. And David used this, King David used this constantly. Saul used it in the beginning, but then God rejected him because of his sin, his disobedience, his arrogance. And so God no longer spoke with him. You would expect Saul to say, the time of God speaking to men is past. But it wasn't. God wouldn't speak with Eli. He sent a prophet to speak with Eli. But he would speak with the boy Samuel. 
innocent before God, a heart given to God. And so we find all through the stories of the Old Covenant where God constantly came and spoke with his people. He came and spoke with with Daniel. He met with him. The angel would come and speak with him and then he would leave. Many of you are still functioning like that today. If a prophetic word comes, thank you, God has come and he has spoken. We'll refer to sermons as anointed. Some in the modern church don't believe that God shows up at all. That he had his last word in the the Logos, the scriptures. That Jesus was the last word to us before the end of the world. Why do they think that? Because they don't understand the heart of Jesus. I want to talk to you today about that heart of Jesus. The message title for today is Christ in you, the hope of glory. A change comes in the new covenant, in the new testament. What we find is God comes and dwells among us as a baby, born in Bethlehem, cuddled by his mother, fed at her breast. That Jesus grew up to be a man, a holy man, a a righteous man, never sinning, never turning against the Lord of heaven. But this is the same Jesus who came down and met with Abraham. This is the same Jesus who was the creator God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But what has changed? Now God is dwelling among us. We can touch him. We can see him. The disciples could touch him. They could see him. As he walked with them those dusty roads of Galilee and Samaria and Judea, God was among men. But that was not to be the final position of Jesus. Let me read for you John, the 14th chapter. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. Thank you for joining me today. I pray that this message is going to bless you as it has blessed me as I've been before the Lord. O Lord, I ask for your presence to quicken this message in the hearts of each person. Lord, give them such a hunger for you and a desire for you. Lord, bring them to their senses. Let them not be satisfied with your showing up occasionally or with just the reading of the scriptures. There's so much more you want to do for us. Thank you, Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. If you go with me to John, the Gospel of John, I'll begin reading in the 14th chapter in verse 5. 
That's John 14, verse 5. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. That word counselor, helper, um, who takes care of affairs, who does things, who give you a counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Now these are startling words. These are incredible words. Such good news. God left Abraham and did not show up again for a year. Now, God also left Abraham when he took the Ishmaelite woman, the Egyptian woman, to be his wife and had a son. It was 13 years before God spoke to him again. Some of you have not heard from God for much longer than 13 years. And you go through your rituals at church. You go through your your ways. You go through all of the things that you're supposed to do. But you don't hear from God. Why? All through the New Testament, theme. The incredible theme of God coming and dwelling in us and never leaving us again. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells us. He abides in us. As we abide in Christ, He abides in us. This morning, when I awakened, I reviewed the word that Jesus has spoken to me. He said, wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. And then he said, the Lord will carry you through. And then he said, after a pause, he said, Rest in me, Ray. He'd never before used my personal name. He said, rest in me, Ray. Well, the only way that's possible is if God comes and dwells in me. Not come and visit me. 
because all through the Old Testament, he left them. He departed from them. But in the New Covenant, our sins are washed away. John 15, you know this passage, but look at it from this perspective. I'm the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, that is, abide in me. This is locative. This is positional. He's saying, stay in me and I will remain in you. See, in the Old Testament, God wasn't in Abraham. He came and visited Abraham. He spoke words of advice and command to Abraham. And as Abraham obeyed that, God would come and speak to him in the offering of his son on that fiery altar that God called for. God tested him to see if he would obey, but the voice of God was outside of him. And when Abraham passed the test, God returned. Jesus returned to heaven. He did not stay with him. Guardian angels stayed and took care of Abraham, but the Lord did not remain with him. But when we come to the New Testament, something dramatically different is happening here. We cannot think in terms of the Old Covenant when we think about where is Jesus? Where is the Holy Spirit? Where is God? It's the desire of God to come and dwell in me. I am to be in the vine. The vine is to be in me. The life sap flows directly from Jesus, my Lord and Savior, into my life. There is such intimacy now that we are being offered with the living God of heaven. I know this is startling because we don't usually think in these terms. But I want to share with you another passage. I want to share with you a passage from, let me get my text. Colossians, the first chapter. I'm going to begin reading to you from verse 24. Colossians, the first chapter, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is his church. In other words, there's still a place to suffer for us to build the body of Christ, to build the church. The church is the very apple of God's eye. Verse 25, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has 
chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me now do you hear it christ in you is the hope of glory it was not christ in you in the old covenant but everything changed with the new covenant in the old covenant it was by law In the New Testament, it is being transformed into the likeness of Jesus by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is being made into the image of Jesus. It is literally Christ in you and you in Christ. Now, most of us have just drifted along in the currents of this world, trying to swim aside when we can to catch a broadcast or swim aside when we can to get to church. And when we're in church, drifting along with the rituals that are in place, sometimes having a little bit of emotion, but most of the time, just listening and learning intellectual stuff or just foolish entertainment, jokes and laughter and and foolishness, but nothing of the deep inner place of God dwelling in you and you dwelling in God, that Jesus is one with you. This is the mystery that kept was kept hidden through generations in the Old Testament, but now it's been revealed in the glory with Jesus Christ. Galatians, Galatians, the the second chapter. I want you to hear this. I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not dikasune, made righteous, justified. That's what the word justified means. That was the old the old English word to be justified meant to be made holy. It was never meant as a cover-up for sin. Dikasune, the, the Greek word here, is to be made holy. And see, if If you don't agree with me, then Hebrews, the 10th chapter kicks in. You are making the blood of Jesus of no more power and of no more importance than the blood of bulls and goats. In the old covenant, when God did not dwell in us, men were declared righteous. Abraham was declared righteous. He did not have God dwelling in him. Please understand, 
He had principles to live by. He had the direction of the Lord as he came and saw him and spoke with him and taught him, and then the Lord would leave. But now we are made righteous by faith, not by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified, made righteous by faith in Christ, not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be made righteous. And if you look in the first chapter of the book of Romans, he's clear. There is a a source of righteousness other than the law. And that righteousness comes to us by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there is a total transformation. Now, in this blood of Jesus Christ, in the new covenant, Christ then washes away our sin. And he enters into us. And he makes us righteous. The scriptures tell us that he circumcises our hearts. Now, I've heard some who think that they must be in total obedience to God before God will work in their lives. That's a, that's a wrong way of thinking. We don't fix ourselves up by principle. There's even some thought, well, if I obey the principles of God without God even telling me about it, then I'm somehow more righteous. Wrong. Wrong. The righteousness that comes by faith is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as he regenerates us, as he circumcises our heart by the power of Jesus' blood. And he sets our feet on a straight path, a narrow path. He makes us righteous. He justifies us. You cannot live a godly life without the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. Some of you have believed that the Holy Spirit anointing will not come. The Pentecost anointing will not come until your life is 100% straight. Wrong. You think those in Corinth were all mature Christians and 100% holy and right before God? Of course not. They were murderers, homosexuals, adulterers, every kind of sinful person. And as they came to Jesus, they were transformed by the blood of Jesus as they believed upon his name. And the anointing of Pentecost came upon them, and they were not short in any gifts. Now, they had to grow up in that. They had to mature. What I'm telling you today is the most precious secret the most precious mystery of all of the scripture. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now listen, so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus. This is Galatians, the second chapter. 
We've put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be made righteous, justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be made righteous. Now, if while we seek to be made righteous in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. There is no more miserable man or woman on the face of the earth who is doing their best to keep the law so that they can be loved by Jesus. The love of Jesus is not dependent upon your law-keeping. It is rather dependent on whether or not you are willing to be crucified with Christ and give up all sense of trying to make yourself righteous before God. You can only be righteous by the blood of Jesus as he washes and as he cleanses you. But you must be crucified with him. What does that mean? The old law life of the old covenant must die. Many of you today who listen to this broadcast have settled into the law and you have turned aside from Christ. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory is not that I can behave in ways that I'm supposed to behave. The hope of, of glory is not that I can do it right. The hope of glory is that I can be crucified with Christ and that he would come and dwell in me in all of his fullness, including the Pentecost baptism. That's for all men. Let me read the next part. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Now, I want you to get this. Let's say that I have a large outstanding debt. And I've become a follower of Christ. Or I incurred that large debt while I was a follower of Christ. What do I do about that debt? I bring that debt to the prayer room and I absolutely repent of it and turn from that way and now I put that debt in the hands of Jesus the blood of Jesus covers all debt but you say pastor the debt still has to be paid yes it does Jesus paid it on Calvary but pastor the debt still has to be paid Yes, I hear you. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Can you believe for complete deliverance? Can you get your eyes off of this little debt that you owe and see the greatness of Jesus Christ and see that he can pay it all? 
He can open the way before you, but first there must be an indwelling power of Jesus Christ in you. You must be crucified with Christ and give up all hope of saving yourself. In my foolishness, with my late wife Jan, we were directed to go to California and we thought it was to open a church, but it wasn't. It was to be in the desert in Moreno Valley, California. And we quickly, without jobs, without the ability to gain work, we tried many different things. We tried investments in companies. We did everything, and we couldn't. Everything blew up in our faces. And finally, we were $70,000 in debt credit card debt, $70,000, and no salary. Finally, in our utter hopelessness, we brought that $70,000 to the Lord. We laid all the bills, all the credit card bills, we laid everything out. And we said, Lord, we've stolen. We've lived on these credit cards and we can't pay it back. We have sinned against you and against them. We pleaded the blood of Jesus Christ over those bills as we laid our hands on them. And then we said, Lord, tell us what to do. And he said, call each of these debtors and make arrangements to pay $50 a month. But we had no money. We had no job. We had no income. The Lord said, call them. I called each debtor and I made arrangements to pay back $50 a month. And then the Lord began to move on our behalf. And just enough money would come to pay the rent. Just enough money would come to pay for food and gas in the car, the car payment, and also to cover each of those bills $50 a month. We called ourselves water walkers because we knew that only Jesus was sustaining us. We knew we could not make it without his hand of deliverance. We knew we were going to be sunk and destroyed. We would not declare bankruptcy. We were advised to declare bankruptcy. We said, no, that would be stealing. We incurred the debt. Jesus has put it under his blood. And he is now going to pay every penny of it. And by the year 2000, we were debt free. The Lord brought some large offerings. One $20,000, another $12,000 that we could use to pay down that debt. And finally, every penny was paid back. Jesus did it. Now, why am I telling you this? Because some of you don't believe that Jesus dwelling in you is sufficiently powerful to bring a total and complete and full deliverance in your life. And so you are in agony and anguish of mind and soul. To be honest with you, I can't meet the cost of the radio this month. It is... It is large. We've had very small offerings this month. 
I have it written here somewhere. We're still just at about the $2,000 mark short of being able to pay. How do I pay? I also am short on, on other areas in my life. How do I pay? Well, I know how to pay. In the prayer closet this morning, I laid it all out before the Lord. And I said, now, Lord, I'm going to wait upon you. I know you will pay for the radio. You will move in someone's heart. Do you know what he did last month? He moved in an 87-year-old woman's heart who would not normally do anything like this. She called and said, Pastor, the Lord told me to give $1,000. Well, she can't drive. So a dear brother drove me down to her house to meet her. And we had such a wonderful time of fellowship together and prayer together. And that $1,000 finished the radio for last month. That's how God moves. Is God going to move again? Yes, I don't know how. Is he going to move for my personal coverage? Yes, I don't know how. But he will. I tell you that is testimony because year after year after year in my life, God has covered me. I'm no exception. I'm not special. I'm nobody. Do you think God can't cover your situation? Of course he can. Sarah didn't believe it in the old covenant. But God said, yes, it would happen. And then he left. But God doesn't say, yes, it's going to happen and then leave us. He comes and dwells in us. He lives in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the mystery of the old, of the new covenant that's changed from the old covenant. Galatians 3 verse 20, I'm sorry, Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Are you setting aside the grace of God to live under the law of demand that everything is your responsibility? Or are you willing to take a hold of this truth today that the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me? I'm not going to set aside the grace of God. I don't want you to either. But now we do need to look at one more passage in the short time we have left. It's in 1 John. It's in 1 John. I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. This is 1 John, the second chapter, beginning in verse 15. This is being given to men and women who want Jesus to dwell in them. This is the practical outworking of the Apostle John that the Apostle Paul spoke about being crucified with Christ. 
yesterday I received a text. Someone texted me and said, what's wrong with football, Pastor? They have prayer groups. They have prayer circles. What's wrong with football? Listen, and I'll share. Do not love the world. Professional sports are of the world. Do not love the world. There's not going to be a redskin game in heaven. The angels are not going to organize a football team and and play against the redskins. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Do you hear? This is what the Lord is saying to us. Do not love the world. In other words, when we become one with Jesus Christ, we are no longer one with the world. We have been crucified with Christ. We are dead to the world and alive to Jesus. And when we are dead to the world and alive to Jesus, and he's dwelling in us, we no longer have any lust for the things of this world and of this flesh. We're no longer proud. We're no longer arrogant. We're no longer hard-hearted. We no longer demand our way. We no longer walk in our own hardness of heart. We no longer demand that everybody do it the way we demand it be done. We're no longer concerned about establishing our authority and our place and our way and making a name for ourselves. No, we've been crucified with Christ. Now we're not going to love the world anymore. If you still love the world, you have not been crucified with Christ. You may call yourself a Christian. You may be deeply involved in all of the things of the world, the flesh, and the devil. But you know what? You're not walking in Jesus. One man said to me, I love the football game. I don't see anything wrong with it. I go to the Redskin games every chance I get. I've seasoned tickets. Pastor, why would you even suggest that I shouldn't do that? Well, it's not me suggesting it. The truth is, we need to separate ourselves from those things that are of darkness, that are of anger, that are of bitterness, that are gambling, and everything else that goes with all of this worldly stuff. We need to walk in the school of the Holy Spirit. And tomorrow I'm going to deal in depth with what it means to be set apart for God, for what that means. For we must be set apart 
unto the Lord God of heaven, so that as he dwells in us, we're not filled with our own selfishness, but we sacrifice ourselves, our time, our money, everything for the sake of the cross of Jesus. And our heart then is set on the nation and the salvation of the nation, the salvation of our friends and family. Have you won anyone to Jesus this year? Do you have those you're discipling? You've been a part of the church for years, but who have you won to Jesus? Are you a part of the world? Do you love the world and the things of the world? The sports of the world, the activities of the world, the clubs of the world, the movies of the world? Do you love the things of the world? Then you've not yet walked in the love of the Father, and he's not dwelling in you. Even though you may have a lot of theological knowledge, I'm talking about something much, much deeper and bigger. I'm talking about you coming to know Jesus and being set apart for him. Oh, my brother, my sister. There's such a seriousness that we must walk in such a seriousness that we must walk in if you look and I know I've been all over today but but I needed to share scriptures so that you would know I'm not just talking out of my hat Romans Romans the 8th chapter Romans the 8th chapter is the normal life of the Christian it is the normal life of the Christian who has Victory in Jesus. Let me read this for you. Romans 8. I'm going to begin reading with verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. I want to read that again. But if Christ is in you, that is, if, if the Father is in Jesus, and you are in Jesus, and Jesus in you, the Godhead dwelling in you by the Spirit, your spirit will be alive because of righteousness, innocence before God, because you are utterly given to him. And if the Spirit of him who Jesus, who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who, who lives in, 
loosen you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. But it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if the Spirit, by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Oh, brother, sister, we're out of time today, but this is so deep and so beautiful. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Tomorrow we're going to talk about set apart for God. Invite a friend to listen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. Go to our webpage if you'd like to participate in making this broadcast possible. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that address is the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You're also welcome to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Dot com nationalprayerchapel.com you can give online if you just click on the donate button and it will take you to paypal god bless you my brother my sister jesus wants to dwell in you i love you i'll talk to you soon great joy now unto him who is able to keep you from falling to present you blameless before the presence of his glory 